Okay. We should be up and going. Let me double check it here and get this. Do that. Okie dokie. Gotta get back, gotta get my train of thought back. Yeah. You know, uh, I'll, I'll tell you this there's one of the Marge bugs flying around. Uh, you know how, like when you go to a certain place, you can kind of feel an aura about the place? Maybe you feel safe, maybe you feel uncomfortable. He said, I just want to come to a place where I don't feel any condemnation. And you know, because there's a lot of places, and you know, that's, that's the one thing that, that keeps people from coming into a church building because of the aura of that whole thing. And, I mean, I've been there myself, but I, I just think, man, what a, what a great thing. You know, because in the Lord, I mean, in Him there is no condemnation. Now, that's hard to believe. Because we know we deserve it. I mean, we, we know who we are, what we've done. But in, that's what I try to explain to people sometimes. They can't get it. That in, in him, it's not there. I don't know. I know he's corrected me before, and there's been no condemnation. And you rejoice in the correction. I can't explain that. All I know is I've experienced that. And uh, that's the that's the way he does it. Right? I mean, that's. Well, I mean, we talk about the goodness of the Lord, but man, how we have dumbed that word down. Uh, you know, I know I use the word awesome all the time. It's just kind of a thing to you to. But imagine Isaiah when he's describing the Lord, and he's wonderful. I mean, his, his. I mean, it's who he is. His name is wonderful, but that's who he is. That's what we're we're going to find out here in this book that we're in, the Revelation of Jesus Christ. We'll we'll get into some of that today. But this is uh, Revelation of Jesus Christ, Part Thirteen. Uh, here in verse 8, chapter 1, verse 8, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, was, and which is to come, the Almighty. And we talked about it. Not only is Christ the beginning, He's the end of all things. Remember, we looked at that last week. You know, in, the, in Genesis, in, in the beginning, Christ is the beginning. So, so we should read it really in the Christ. And Paul wrote it, man is still groping along in the dark. 
Groping in the dark of the carnal mind, not knowing that the Lord is standing right there. He's, I mean, do you know what I mean? I mean, we get a picture of this over in the Old Testament with them chariots of the Lord upon the mountain with Elisha prayed that his eyes would be open. They were there. And, and people look, well, that was then. I'm telling you, you're compassed about with the great cloud. Well, not only that, angels and the Lord, you're in him. He's in you. And, and we, too, grope around in the darkness. If only we had eyes to see. That's Paul's prayer, isn't it? Let me, let me go over there to Ephesians. Not, not that prayer, but, but when, when Christ ascended. Now you think of it even naturally so. He only had about 500 people right there. But when he ascended, he, he led many captives from the, from the prison house and, and set forth his great purpose. Listen to this in Ephesians 4. Verse 9, now that he ascended, what is it? but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that ascended is the same also. That kills people right there. He, he that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens. Here's the purpose. Why he did it, that he might feel all things. I'm telling you, if... if you know, you talk to so many people, you know, about these things. I mean, what is the purpose? If people could just begin to see the purpose, why God made the earth, why God made a man. I mean, why these things? Then maybe we could understand a little bit of salvation, understand uh, of all these things, you know. It's that he might feel all things. I mean, here the message is clear. Redemption includes the transformation of the entire universe. I'm, I'm telling you, and this is hard to comprehend, but, you know, he made all, the, I mean, when it says all things right there, that's all things. All things. You know, that little stone that, that Daniel saw, that little stone hewn out of the mount without men's hands filled the whole earth. And then this kept going, of the increase to, of his government, there shall be no end. I mean, you know, we look and I just wonder sometimes, okay, he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And I know what people think, well, I guess he lost this one over to the devil. And the devil has her, he's got to burn this one up or blow it up. And he's got to make a brand new one. And to me, I always think, what about Jupiter? I looked at Jupiter one time in a telescope. I found it on my own, and I looked, and I saw it, and I was just amazed. that There really is a planet out there. It's Jupiter. Why is it there? God made that. I look up in the sky, and I see Venus, and I think, wow, how wonderful. I see the constellations, and I look. Who in the world could have put them stars right there to form Orion? And they've been there for who knows how long. And I mean, it, it amazes me, and I just know... That his glory shall fill the entire thing. They're building, t building telescopes to try to look at these things and to just see. I mean, do you ever look at those pictures and you just see galaxy after galaxy after galaxy? After, and when I look at those things, I think, my 
gosh, the glory of the Lord shall fill the entire you know, I'm amazed at that stuff. I, to me, I get way bigger than Tazel. I get way bigger than this little church in Tazel County and the United States and the world. I'm looking at the Hubble telescope and I'm thinking, wow. What's it going to be like? The little stone becomes a great mountain. Now we know in, the, in this Day and time, especially now, it's, I guess it's always been that way, but people want to know what, what the end will be. You hear that all the time. You know, the end will be. What's the end going to be? Everybody's frustrated. Everybody's confused. What will the end be? They look and everybody's picking out signs. Oh, look at the signs. Look at the signs. You know, he said there'll be no more sign given. There'll be no more sign given. Why? Because the substance has arrived and the substance himself is Jesus Christ. I mean, Jesus said, there'll be no more sign given. You don't need any more sign when the man himself has arrived, do you? And I'm telling you, if we could see but just a little bit of the beginning, it would give us a clear view of the end. I mean, if we could think about it, I mean, so let's, let's go back and look. In the beginning, there was no sin, there was no sorrow, there was no pain, there was no tears, no limitation, no death. Behold Jesus Christ in the beginning. He's the beginning, and if he's the beginning, and in the beginning there was no sin, there was no sorrow, there was no pain, no tears, no limitation, no death, what's the end going to look like? Yeah, it's got to, doesn't it? I mean, it's, we take logic out, but it's just logical. It has to be that way. He's the beginning. He's the end. He himself has abolished death. He brings life and immortality to light through the gospel. He did it. He didn't bring death to light. He brought light, life and immortality to light. It's in Him that we have life. And not only life, life more abundant. Jesus is the end. Death is not the end. Judgment's not the end. Hell's not the end. Christ Himself is the end. Now I know this rubs up against a lot of things that we've been taught, things that we've heard. But I'm just giving you scriptures that the man Christ Jesus himself says, I'm the Alpha, I'm the Omega, I am the beginning, and I am the end. Well, I thought judgment was the end. You know, everybody says the end is going to be... The end is Christ, same as the beginning was Christ. Now, that word end, the end times, we have that word telos, the Greek word telos. It means the goal. Now think about that, the goal. It means final result of a state or a process. It means purpose. It means conclusion, consummation. It means that which is brought to the full, being finished. Most think the end times is a date on the calendar. They're looking and they think, well, this is a date on the calendar. I found the end, end time. I've discovered 
the beginning. Now, think about this. Got to flip over here. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. And in Him was life. And the life was the light of men. What a statement. What a statement. Jesus himself is the beginning and the alpha and the end, the omega, the beginning and the end. We found him. We've not only found the beginning of the matter, but, we, but also the end of the matter. The end time is not some dark period. It's all gathered together in the person of Christ. And as we... We've talked about on Sunday in our challenge of prayer. If you can see it, the sons of God are the administrators of the end. Now think on that. The administrators of the end. You know, Paul said ambassadors, administrators. That's what we've been talking about with their prayer, isn't it? The administrators of the end for all mankind. The end's not a time period. The end's not a world war. The end's not a rapture. The, the end is a glorious person who is Christ. And only in Christ are we able to see both the beginning and the end of everything. Now, a synonym for beginning and end is also author and finisher. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end of what? Our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The Lord who began his work in you will finish it because he's both the beginning and the end, the author and the finisher. And here's something that's hard to get a hold of because we think in linear time, if he's the beginning and he's the end and he's the author and he's the finisher, I want to get our brains outside of time so it's not a matter of time at all. It's a matter of Christ. So we think, we see a person and we think, oh my gosh, they don't have much time left. And then all of a sudden, you know, they died and we think that's it. It ain't a matter of time. It's a matter of Jesus. I mean, how easy is it for him to stand somebody up out of the, out of the grave? Look, I mean, he's did it before. Hey, Lazarus, come forth. If he just said, Adam, come forth, they all got up. It was just, I mean, he, he called it. And we've said this a long time. There's divine meaning in every happening that comes into our lives. There's no accidents in God's. Nothing slipped up. Even though they may have meant it for evil, He meant it for good. Everything that comes to us is for our learning, for our growth, for our development, 
in God. And I'll have to say this because you know when you say these things, you get challenged. Well, if God is good, then why is this? If God is good, why did he let this happen? If God is good, well, listen, here's one thing I know. Teaching is his business. I mean, he's, I mean, I'm just telling you. I'm not saying he's the cause of the sin in our life. He's the cause of the trouble. He's the cause of the bad things. I'm not saying that at all. But his teaching is his business. We put our hands to it. We make a mess. Trying to learn on our own, we make a mess. If it's left up to us to teach ourselves, we'd guard and preserve and fight and save everything that needs to go to the cross. We would. We'd call it good. We don't. We don't understand because we can't see beyond our face. You know, there's a verse here in Peter. In 2 Peter verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 9, But he that lacketh these things, you know, when it's talking about godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity, and virtue, knowledge, and temperance, and patience, and all that. And Peter says, But he that lacketh these things is blind. And cannot see afar off. And you remember that word afar off there was face. He can't, you, you know, you can't see you. Can't see beyond his own face. He, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sin. His old sins. Has forgotten that he was purged. And I tell you, I grew up believing I had to be purged over and over and over and over and over. But this ain't what this verse says. He says you was purged once and for all. That was it. When he does the work, he does it thorough. But he that lacks these things, why does does Peter say he lacks these things? Because they're not there? No, he can't see. He can't look beyond himself. May the voice that spoke to John resound in our ears today when we can't see and we can't get those things and we forget. And, and that, that voice spoke to John and said, uh, Come up hither and I'll show these things which must be Hereafter, and immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. Not three sat on the throne, one sat on the throne. He's the source, the consummation, the beginning. Of all things. And this one is sitting on the throne. This this one. You know the scriptures when it says. The flesh profits nothing. You, you know what profit is. Profit is that increase right. I mean if I got ten dollars and I make profit on it. Then, then whatever over the ten dollars would be the profit. Jesus, when he's talking about the source here, I mean, of who he is, the flesh profits nothing. 
I want to I want to show you something here. Now, I'm going to go over here to Matthew. And he's uh, Matthew 14. verse 15 and when he was and and when it was evening his disciples came to him saying this is a desert place the time has now passed send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals you know here they are long days several days you know the disciples they see the lack Tell them to go down into the town. We don't have no food. We can't feed all these people. Tell them, you know, let's send them away. It's, it's dark 30. Jesus said unto them, they need not depart. Give you them to eat. You feed them. Now, I mean, here's a lesson here. A lesson for us. And I can just see them looking at Jesus cross-eyed. And they said to him, we have here but five loaves and two fishes. Are you, are you crazy? You know, one time they said he's, he's out of his mind. And I don't know what tone Jesus used. I don't know if he's kind of laughing like here or is in frustration. You know, I, I don't know. But he says, bring them hither to me. Bring them to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass and took the loaves, took the five loaves and the two fishes and looking up to heaven, he blessed and break and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled. There wasn't no little snack here. They were filled. And they took the fragments that remained 12 baskets full. And, of course, they that had eaten were about 5,000 men beside women and children. Could have been 15,000 people there he fed with five loaves and two fishes. You see, they need, there was a need there. They needed food. But he bypassed the natural resources. He didn't say, well, guys, we need to take up a collection go to Walmart's. He didn't go to the wheat field. He didn't go to the grocery store because there's a new law here. The law of the spirit of life of Christ Jesus. The, the, the law of faith. He drew right out from his own spirit enough to feed. I mean, where else did it come from? From him who is the beginning. He drew right out of his own Spirit enough to feed 5,000 with 12 baskets left over. And they were full baskets. And look how easily Jesus did that. Make them sit down. I love that little part right there. When you get bread from heaven, when you get the bread from this source, you don't get it standing up. You don't get it standing up with a plow and a sickle and laboring and sweating as people have done for the last 6,000 years, earning it by the sweat of their face under the curse. 
Jesus just took the loaves and he gave thanks and gave to his disciples to give to the people. He did it so smoothly and so easily. Now just think about this. Think about how many church services we've been in. He didn't go through all the soulless hype that men go through in order to work up a little faith. Now he lived by faith. You know, we've talked about that before. He didn't have to go through a 30-minute praise service to do it. He didn't have to go through a, 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 a dance around in the spirit for a while, speak in tongues and prophesy and holler, in the name of Jesus, let there be bread. He didn't do any of that. Have him sit down. Thank you, Father. Here, now give, give him to It's smooth. No fanfare, no showmanship, no emotional appeal at all. He's the source. Here's the amazing thing. He lives in us. The, the beginning and the end, the source, the creator of all things. There was not anything made that was made that wasn't made by him and for him and through him. And he lives in us. That's why John had to come up and see. I mean, you got to come see, John. Come up hither. I'll show you things. Now, out of that, I'm not saying that we shouldn't work, we shouldn't earn money, we shouldn't buy a house. But the point is, Jesus knew the Father within as his source. Jesus said, of myself, I can do nothing. But he knew who the source was, his Father. And knowing that, Jesus never walked in anxiety or concern about natural things. If the Father supplied natural ways, he received with thanksgiving. If there was no natural supply, he turned the water into wine. Got money from the fish's mouth. Multiplied the loaves and fishes. It wasn't a question of how it came to him, but a matter of the law of faith by which all things are possible. And Jesus told them, labor not for the meat that perishes but for the meat that endureth unto everlasting life. You know, in the, in the ministry of Jesus, remember I told you he's the prototype. There was never a problem he faced that he couldn't solve. I mean, do you realize that? Never a need he couldn't meet. No victory he couldn't win. To this same ministry we are called. We look into Jesus, who's what? The author and finisher of our faith. He's our beginning. He's our end. This is the true end time revelation. Let me get back over here in the book where we're supposed to be anyway. Now, I just want to try to explain something here. Uh, people have great difficulty understanding um, a spirit. We'll say that. Spirit. A force or a spirit. So it must be personalized. It must take form. That's why God came in the person of Jesus Christ. So that we might see him. See what God is like. Jesus is what? The express image 
of the person. In John, it says he has revealed him or he's explained him. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We know God is spirit and none has seen his face at any time. But if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. So God the Father is spirit. Now, Jesus is the embodiment we looked at last week of, of Yahweh. The I am, he's the almighty creator of everything in heaven and in earth. Remember that verse in it was, not only the beginning and end, that which was, which is to come, the almighty. This book is the unveiling of Yahweh, Yeshua, the invisible almighty God who came to earth. As our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not debating this right here, and I know I've used it many times, and I want to go through all the scriptures with it because I'm. But there's not three gods. Now, I've said this many times before, but this is not scripture. You know how it's easy to get in the habit and say things that's not scripture? We say God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's no. no there's. There's God the Father, there's the Son of God, and there's the Holy Spirit. But nowhere does it say God the Son or God the Holy Spirit. God the Father appears many times. Jesus is always referred to as Son of God, not God the Son. Jesus said, the Father, who is God, is in me. John writes, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. He didn't say God the Son was manifest in the flesh. He said God was manifested in the flesh. Why do I say that? Because what we just read there in Revelation 4, I was in the spirit to behold a throne, A means one, doesn't it? Was set in heaven and one set on that throne. Not three thrones. Yet it says we see Jesus. John saw the one sitting on the throne was Christ Jesus on the throne. But emanating, radiating out of Jesus is in a never-ending glory and majesty and wisdom and power and dominion and love and mercy and goodness is the Father. Remember we talked about the sun and the radiation, uh, you know, the, the, the light? May God open our eyes to see ourselves in Christ. God has one glorious Christ who is composed of many members. This is one thing to keep in mind as we go through this book. He is the head. We are the body. Many members make up one body. It says in Revelation 3.21, To him that overcometh will I grant to set with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. And John says, I saw one throne and one set on the throne. You remember in John, 
John said in that day, or Jesus had said, and John wrote it down, in that day you'll know that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me and I in you. When you see that, you, you, you say like Paul said, no longer I that liveth, but Christ liveth in me. If we can just see the one throne where the king of glory sits and all the fullness of the nature and power and wisdom and majesty of God and see yourself seated in him then you know what union is then you know what son is because Jesus was what the son of God and he's seated in God in the throne and we're in him I mean go read John 17 I mean, there's a, uh, let me go over here and get this, with this, uh, just go back and, and I believe this is in uh, Isaiah 9. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Now listen to this. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Who? The son that is given. The same one. A child is born. The same one. The same child. A child is born. And to us a son is given. Given to us. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. The same one. And his name shall be called. Listen to this. Wonderful. Counselor. Mighty God. Now listen to this. The everlasting father. Prince of Peace. Now the son, unto us a child is born, a son is given, and his name shall be called the Everlasting Father. I don't know about you, but I mean, this is kind of gets... When Jesus came, he came to take the place of Adam to fulfill the purpose of God. What was that purpose? For man to be the expression of God, the express image of God to the whole universe. That's why God created all things. That's all things created in the heavens and the earth. Then as the crowning glory of his creation, he brought forth in the earth man in the image and likeness of God. So it was to be by and through and in man that creation would see, touch, and know the invisible God. Man was destined to be the manifestation and revelation of the invisible creator to the visible creation. Well, we know Adam blew it. Christ came as the last Adam to fulfill that purpose which Adam rebelled from. Now this goes back to Leviticus and the, well you'll see it. Christ's first consideration was not evangelical. And when I say evangelical, I mean manwards. Christ's first consideration was Godward. 
And what I say goes back to Leviticus, he's the burnt offering. And you remember that, off, that burnt offering was ever being offered. It was Godward. It wasn't manward. It was Godward. And he was the burnt offering that was on the altar continuously, 24-7. You remember from 6 to 6, 6 in the morning, 6 in the evening, they had it burning. And then they put another one on at 6 in the evening until 6 in the morning. This went on all the time. So it was Godward. Jesus would draw upon the Father's life and express the Father and manifest the Father and reveal the Father. He did nothing of his own. The words that I speak, they're not my words. The things that I do, I, I can do nothing on myself. You see, everything was Godward. And when Jesus came in the world, listen to what the Scripture says. This goes back to Hebrew. Now you know why we had to go through so many books. A body hast thou prepared me. What's a body for? A body's for expression. With a body, you can express outwardly what you are inwardly. Jesus didn't express himself. He's the express image of the Father. He came to express, reveal the Father. And now this same one that, that where he said, a body hast thou prepared me, he also said, I delight to do thy will, O God. Jesus didn't ever stop to consider that he was going to be misunderstood, that if he was going to suffer, he was going to die. Whatever the Father willed, moment by moment even, that was all he could will. I came to do thy will, O God. It was the Father working through and by Jesus that did the miracles, that did the healing, that produced the bread, that, that multiplied the bread, that calmed the, the, the seas. It was the Father in Jesus who did those things. Now listen to this. When Jesus said to the woman who had the issue of blood, who touched the hem of his garment, he didn't call her sister. You remember what he called her? Daughter. Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. This is Jesus, our brother, calling this woman daughter. Why did he say that? That was the Father speaking through Jesus. I mean, do you get a hold of that? That was God Almighty. That's what this says. The Almighty. It was the Almighty in Jesus. The Father was in the Son. Deity was in humanity. John saw a throne set in the heavens of God's Spirit and one set on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon as a jasper stone, it says. Let me go back and read that. Look, I mean, this is just so beautiful. He that sat was to look upon as a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow around about the throne in the sight likened to an emerald. And uh, four and twenty seats. And the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiments. And they all had, uh, they had on their heads crowns of gold. It goes on to say the one that sat upon the throne was also like a lamb. A lamb that had been slain. The glory of that throne like an emerald. 
And that little lamb, it says right here too, was the, uh, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And in the midst of the throne, it says there was four living creatures. The King James says there was beasts, but it's not the same beast. That word is living creatures. Now, four is the number of, of universality worldwide, all-encompassing in relation to the earth. We hear about the four winds. You know, the angels held back the four winds, the four corners of the earth. Four angels with their action earthward. Four living creatures in the midst of the throne represent the worldwide or universal expression and revelation of the life of the God of the throne. Now, we're just kind of hitting on some things. We get on over in here, you see all this comes together. They are the figure of all the overcomers. All who are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Just as the 24 elders round about the throne represent the ministry of the priesthood. I mean, you see, because we've spent weeks talking about this book is signs and symbols. So we can't say with 24 represent this. I mean, this book is signs and symbols. They re represent the ministry of the priesthood that's around this throne. The four living creatures in the midst of the throne represent the power of kingship. What are we? Kings and priests. These are all pictures of the throne. I mean, you can see what's coming out of the throne. Lightnings and thunders and voices. Voices. Seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. I mean, just it goes on and on. Understand what is in the throne and, and you will understand the greatness of the one who sets upon the throne. Because again, there's one who sets on the throne. Yet the one is also a lamb. And the one who's a lamb is also a lion. And he's also four living creatures. And he's also 24 elders. All of this is included in the revelation of the throne. I mean, let me read you in, in chapter 5 here, verse 8. And when he had taken the book and the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of, of odors, uh, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open, and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Only one on the throne, but a membered, but a many-membered one, the ruling family of God. We gotta, we gotta understand this here. And this book of Revelation here is not just the revelation of one, but but a many-membered one. And I'm still speaking of Jesus Christ here, who is the Almighty. Let me go to Second uh, Corinthians. Chapter 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is that Spirit. Now the Lord, who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus here. Now the Lord is. Do, I mean, do you, can you get a hold of that? 
Now the Lord is that spirit. What spirit? The Lord is the Lord Jesus Christ. The spirit is the Holy Spirit. Now in, in uh, Romans You're not in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, but you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Now, the Lord is that spirit, right? I mean, we just read that. The Lord is that spirit. But ye are not in the flesh. The flesh profits nothing, but in the spirit. Now, we have took this in the spirit to be all kinds of, you know, things, charismatic things. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. You're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. And the Lord is that Spirit. The Almighty, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, the Offer and the Finisher, is that Spirit. And he that is joined to the Lord is one Spirit. Now John saw one sitting on the throne. One. In, in Corinthians, Paul writes, the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Quick, that's life-giving spirit. There can't be another life-giving spirit beside the Holy Spirit, can there? Because he's it. He's the source. There's only one source. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So he, he's the source. So the, so the last Adam, now listen to this. The last Adam was made a life-giving spirit. We read, now the Lord is that spirit. Now here in... Uh, in John, John chapter 7. Now remember this was on the Feast of Tabernacles when this happened that last day. Where it says, He that believeth on me as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. That's in verse 38, verse 39. But this he spake of the Spirit. So what's he talking about? He says, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Again, types and shadow. You know there's no river going to be coming out of your belly. Duh. So he puts here, this he spake of the Spirit. This is John through the Holy Spirit explaining that he is saying, this he spake of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. Now we've talked about that word believe there. That's the word uh, pistos, which is faith. For the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit was not yet given. Why wasn't the Holy Ghost given yet? Because Jesus, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Now remember, the Lord is that Spirit. And the last Adam, which we know was Jesus, was made a life-giving Spirit. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. This he spake of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, which was not yet given. So there's two things that were essential before Jesus could return as the Spirit. One, he's told us in John, I must go away. 
Remember that? If I don't go away, the comforter will not come. And we know, we've, we've traced this out already, you know this, that the comforter is not something other than who he is. He said, I will come to you. He said, I'll send the comforter, and then he said, I will come to you. So what I'm showing you here is, is the makeup of this union, this, this great thing that happened. And the second thing that must take place is he must be glorified, right? The Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus is not yet glorified. So he's got to go away and he's got to be glorified. So on our behalf, as man, the head of man, Jesus was resurrected and then he ascended. And we know that he had put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He had fulfilled the law to every jot and tittle. He's done it all so much so that he said it's finished. And he's admitted into the full glory of the divine. He, now listen to this. His humanness, his human nature has received union and participation with the eternal God, Holy Spirit. Now this is so... Awesome. So when he was glorified, he was also truly spiritualized. The Lord is that spirit. You, you see what I mean? He, he became it. Now the Holy Spirit could now come as the spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit could come as the God-man. He could come as the spirit of the glorified Jesus to as many as would receive him. That's why Hebrews was so important because he was tempted in all points as we are and he's able to secure them and all of these things that he's able to do. He comes within as the all-sufficient spirit, the almighty the beginning and the end, to make us all that we should be as sons of God. The same, just as He is, so are we. As, uh, do you get this? To make us the same. That there's only one on the throne. Many members, but one on the throne. I, you need to come and look at this throne. This, the, go look and just, I saw one on the throne. Wait a minute, we're part of that one. Seated with him in heavenly places. That's not over there somewhere. There's only one. John saw one throne and one sitting on the throne. See, John is, in, John is discovering this too. Adam had the opportunity to become the full revelation of the image and glory of God to the universe. It was offered to him in the tree of life. What was the tree of life? It wasn't a tree out there. The tree of life was another symbol. It was the life of God in Christ Jesus. But we know he was duped, lied to, became one with the lie, rebelled, ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Quickly he sank into weakness and death. And Y'all ever seen those pictures of what malnutrition looks like and the little kids with the bloated bellies. And you know those things also cause scurvy and, 
I mean, it just distorts the body, and I mean, it, it, the brain won't even because there, you know, all of that is a result of the diet of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All of mankind today enslaved by sin and sickness and sorrow and death are manifestations of Adam's wretched condition. And religion hasn't helped matters any because they all eaten from the same tree. Religion comes over and brings its care package full of junk food. And you know you can't live on Reese cups. Be nice, but you can't. And they dress them up a little bit, but their belly's still pooching out because they ain't got no food. Table set before them, you said so many times, when they'd rather go eat the junk out of the trash can. I know people who would rather eat off the floor, eat crumbs off the floor. So that internal disease, you know, we read back over there in Peter, they, if they don't have these things, why, why is it? Because they can't see. They can't see. They can't see beyond their face. They have forgotten that they were already purged. I mean, if you don't know that, how can you boldly come to the throne of grace? How can, I mean, you don't. You can't. You won't. So that internal disease is still raging out of control. Death passed upon all men, it said. But you know what Hebrews tells us? But we see Jesus. That's what he's telling John. Come up here, John. Let me show you. Let me show you, John. Let me show you the real deal. I mean, back over here in, in Romans, I love this verse. Romans 5, 10, for, for if when we were enemies, now he's saying, look, even when we were enemies, what kind of enemies were we? We crucified the Son of God. We were the enemies of God. We wanted him dead. We were reconciled to God, how? By the death of his Son, Much more, I always have to underline them things in the Bible, much more. When we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, being reconciled. Our state of being is reconciled. We shall be saved by His life. Through Jesus. Through Jesus' death, the gates of Eden have been opened. And as we get on over here in chapter 1, we'll see he shuts and none can open. He opens and none can shut. And he's brought us back into the garden of God and made the tree of life available, which is what? All sufficient. I mean, we'll read that right there. He that hath an ear, in Revelation 2, 7. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now, when you read that now, I want you to keep in mind 
that we're not talking something separate from who Jesus Christ is because Paul has told us the Lord is that spirit. The Almighty, the beginning and end, the author and finisher, the one who's seated on the throne, the one who is in us, the one who is all sufficient. Hear what he says because they have all merged into the person of Jesus Christ our Lord. The Son has become the Father, right? A child is born, a son is given, and his name is the everlasting Father. Now that just goes, I mean, it, I don't know if it does that to you. I know all them other names, everlasting, uh, our wonderful counselor, mighty God. But I said, wait a minute. The son's name is the everlasting father. Did Isaiah mess up? I don't think so. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the spirit, the Lord is that spirit, saith unto the churches, to him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. The tree of life has been made available. We're now becoming what we've never been, but was what always was intended to be. What was intended to be? Kings and priests, sons of God, to make God visible to the world and to bring the world to God. Sons of God. And listen, there's no need to beg. Now, now where are we? I mean, to him that overcometh in the, in, in the paradise of God, the tree of life. There's no need to beg or to cry or to fear. How many times did Jesus say, fear not, fear not, fear not. Hear what the Spirit, hear what Jesus says. Hear what the Spirit says, same thing, fear not. But to draw near. That's what Hebrews tell us, draw near. Draw near to that tree who is the life himself. Draw near in full confidence. Draw near in full assurance, full expectation of faith to take him, to eat of him, to appropriate him, to sup with him who is the Almighty. Since I um, got started late, I was going to go a little bit farther. But I'm going to quit with that. So we'll be in verse 9 next week. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So I will quit with that.